Chapter Twelve, Part Three of the Many-Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Twelve, Social Life, Part Three. All these courtesies involved recognition, and Franklin seemed to have been, when able, fairly regardful of his social duties. For only a few weeks of his many years in Paris does he seem to have kept a diary, but that little reveals him as doing conscientiously the required courtesies. One afternoon's doings will suffice. Quote, we went to Paris to visit Princess Dashkaw, not at home. Visit Prince and Princess Masserano visit duke de rochefoucauld and madame la duchesse longueville visit Messrs. dana and searle not at home leave invitations to dine with me on sunday visit comte d'estaing not at home mr turgot not at home in one respect he refused to go through the conventional forms although the recognition of the united states gave franklin full diplomatic status with the french court his fellow ambassadors whose governments had not yet acknowledged the new country necessarily could not accept him as one of their corps by good luck the american minister heard that they had come to the decision not to quote, return the visits i should make them as they supposed when i was first received here as minister plenipotentiary and disappointed their project by visiting none of them in my private opinion the first civility is due from the old resident to the stranger and newcomer my opinion indeed is good for nothing against custom which i should have obeyed but for the circumstances that rendered it more prudent to avoid disputes and affronts though at the hazard of being thought rude or singular out of this anomalous situation came an incident ridiculous enough which caused the envoy not a little amusement and which he narrated as follows quote, the count de nord who is son of the empress of russia arriving at paris ordered it seems cards of visit to be sent to all the foreign ministers one of them on which was written le comte de nord et le prince bariatinsky was brought to me it was on monday evening last being at court the next day i inquired of an old minister my friend what was the etiquette and whether the count received visits the answer was non on s'y fait écrire voilà tout this is done by passing the door and ordering your name to be written on the porter's book accordingly on wednesday i passed the house of prince Bariatinsky ambassador of russia where the count lodged and left my name on the list of each i thought no more of the matter but this day may the twenty fourth comes the servant who had brought the card in great affliction saying he was like to be ruined by his mistake in bringing the card here and wishing to obtain from me some paper of i know not what kind for i did not see him in the afternoon came my friend monsieur leroy who is also the friend of the princes telling me how much he the prince was concerned at the accident that both himself and the count had great personal regard for me and my character but that our independence not yet being acknowledged by the court of russia it was impossible for him to permit himself to make me a visit as minister i told monsieur leroy it was not my custom to seek such honors though i was very sensible of them when conferred upon me 
that i should not have voluntarily intruded a visit and that in this case i had only done what i was informed the etiquette required of me but if it would be attended with any inconvenience to prince baryatinsky whom i much esteemed and respected i thought the remedy was easy he had only to erase my name out of his book of visits received and i would burn their card the offer was accepted and the nameless danger thus avoided at the next attendance at court franklin noted that the quote, prince was particularly civil to me apologized for what passed relating to the visit expressed himself extremely sensible of my friendship in covering the affair which might have occasioned him very disagreeable consequences a diplomatic entanglement of much the same character though of very different conclusion occurred when the emperor joseph of austria came to paris in seventeen seventy seven he earnestly desired to make franklin's acquaintance but without giving it any political significance the minister of the grand duke of tuscany accordingly wrote the famous american quote, l'abbe nicole prie monsieur franklin de lui faire l'honneur de venir déjeuner chez lui mercredi matin le vingt-huit de ce mois à neuf heures du matin il lui donnera une bonne tasse de chocolat verbally he informed franklin that the intention was to give the emperor an opportunity of an interview with him but owing to an accident this meeting did not take place eventually they were brought together and jefferson relates something concerning one of their encounters quote, when dr franklin went to france on his revolutionary mission his eminence as a philosopher his venerable appearance and the cause on which he was sent rendered him extremely popular for all ranks and conditions of men there entered warmly into the american interest he was therefore feasted and invited to all the court parties at this he sometimes met the old duchess of bourbon who being a chess-player of about his force they very generally played together happening once to put her king into prize the doctor took it ah says she we do not take kings so we do in america said the doctor at one of these parties the emperor joseph the second then at paris incognito under the title of count falkenstein was overlooking the game in silence while the company was engaged in animated conversations on the american question how happens it monsieur le comte said the duchess that while we all feel so much interest in the cause of the americans you say nothing for them i am a king by trade said he with pardonable pride the self-made man speaking of his father's having quote, among his instructions to me when a boy frequently repeated the proverb of solomon seest thou a man diligent in his calling he shall stand before kings he shall not stand before mean men remarked that quote, i did not think that i should ever literally stand before kings which however has since happened for i have stood before five and even had the honour of sitting down with one the king of denmark to dinner greatly in demand as the minister was for formal entertaining there was as well a vie intime which has been more or less referred to already and which his recurrent attacks of the gout tended to foster of this life he has left a pleasant picture in his dialogue with the gout in which the disease accuses him of the following conduct 
Quote, the Gout Let us examine your course of life. While the mornings are long and you have leisure to go abroad, what do you do? Why, instead of gaining an appetite for breakfast by salutary exercise, you amuse yourself with books, pamphlets, or newspapers, which commonly are not worth the reading. Yet you eat an inordinate breakfast, four dishes of tea with cream, and one or two buttered toasts with slices of hung beef, which I fancy are not things the most easily digested. Immediately afterward, you sit down to write at your desk or converse with persons who apply to you on business. Thus the time passes till one, without any kind of bodily exercise. But all this I could pardon in regard, as you say, to your sedentary condition. But what is your practice after dinner? Walking in the beautiful gardens of those friends with whom you have dined would be the choice of men of sense. Yours is to be fixed down to chess, where you are found engaged for two or three hours. This is your perpetual recreation, which is the least eligible of any for a sedentary man, because instead of accelerating the motion of the fluids, the rigid attention it requires helps to retard the circulation and obstruct internal secretions. Wrapped in the speculations of this wretched game, you destroy your constitution. What can be expected from such a course of living but a body replete with stagnant humors, ready to fall a prey to all kinds of dangerous maladies, if I, the gout, did not occasionally bring you relief by agitating these humors, and so purifying or dissipating them? If it was in some nook or alley in Paris, deprived of walks, that you played a while at chess after dinner, this might be excusable. But the same taste prevails with you in Passé, Artuel, Montmartre, or Sonoy, places where there are the finest gardens and walks, a pure air, beautiful women, and most agreeable and instructive conversation, all which you might enjoy by frequenting the walks. But these are rejected for this abominable game of chess. Fie, then, Mr. Franklin! but amidst my instructions I had almost forgot to administer my wholesome corrections, so take that twinge, and that. Franklin, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, as much instructions as you please, Madam Gout, and as many reproaches, but pray, Madam, a truce with your corrections. The Gout, do you remember how often you have promised yourself the following morning, a walk in the grove of Boulogne, in the garden de la Muette, or in your own garden, and have violated your promise, alleging at one time it was too cold, at another too warm, too windy, too moist, or what else you pleased, when in truth it was too nothing but your insuperable love of ease. Franklin, that, I confess, may have happened occasionally, probably ten times in a year. The Gout your confession is far short of the truth. The gross amount is one hundred and ninety-nine times. Franklin, is it possible? The gout, so possible that it is fact. You may rely on the accuracy of my statement. You know Mr. Brillon's gardens, and what fine walks they contain. You know the handsome flight of an hundred steps, which lead from the terrace above to the lawn below. You have been in the practice of visiting this amiable family twice a week after dinner, and as it is a maxim of your own that a man may take as much exercise in walking a mile up and down stairs as in ten on level ground, what an opportunity was here for you to have had exercise in both those ways? 
Did you embrace it? And how often? Franklin. I cannot immediately answer that question. The gout. Well, I will do it for you. Not once. Franklin. Not once? The gout. Even so. During the summer you went there at six o'clock. You found the charming lady with her lovely children and friends eager to walk with you and entertain you with their agreeable conversation. And what has been your choice? Why, to sit on the terrace, satisfying yourself with the fine prospect and passing your eye over the beauties of the garden below without taking one step to descend and walk about in them. On the contrary, you call for tea and the chessboard and lo you are occupied in your seat till nine o'clock and that besides two hours play after dinner and then instead of walking home which would have bestirred you a little you step into your carriage how absurd to suppose that all this carelessness can be reconcilable with health without my interposition franklin i am convinced now of the justness of poor richard's remark that our debts and our sins are always greater than we think they are End quote. it was in paris or rather in the suburb of passe that for the first time franklin was situated so as to entertain john adams who lived for a time with him describes the place quote, I determined to put my country to no further expense on my account, but to take my lodgings under the same roof with Dr. Franklin, and to use no other equipage than his, if I could avoid it. This house was called the Basse-Cour de Monsieur le Ray de Chamont, which was, to be sure, not a title of great dignity for the mansion of ambassadors, though they were no more than American ambassadors. Nevertheless, it had been nothing less than the famous Hotel de Valentinois, with a motto on the door, Si sta bene, non si muove. From an Englishman who came to the minister with a letter of introduction, it is further learned that, quote, his house was delightfully situated and seems very spacious, and he seemed to have a great number of domestics. We sent up the letter and were then shown up into his bedchamber, where he sat in his nightgown, his feet wrapped up in flannels and resting on a pillow, he having for three or four days been much afflicted with the gout and the gravel. Franklin himself, in answer to a question from a correspondent, said, You wish to know how I live? It is in a fine house, situated in a neat village, on high ground, half a mile from Paris, with a large garden to walk in. I have abundance of acquaintance, dine abroad six days in seven. Sundays I reserve to dine at home with such Americans as pass this way, and I then have my grandson Ben with some other American children from the school. In Miss Adams' journal are brief accounts of two of these dinners. Today we have dined with Dr. Franklin, she wrote of one. There was a large company, our family, the Marquis de Lafayette, and Lady lord mount morris an irish volunteer dr jeffreys mr paul jones we had a sumptuous dinner of the second she said quote, dined to-day at dr franklin's the whole company were americans except an old man monsieur brillant who is a friend of the doctor and who came as he said i demandai un dîner à père franklin a description of yet a third of these dinners has been preserved by Jefferson. Quote, 
the doctor had a party to dine with him one day at passe of whom one half were americans the other half french and among the last was the abbe reynal at the dinner he got on his favorite theory of the degeneracy of animals and even of man in america and urged it with his usual eloquence the doctor at length noticing the accidental stature and position of his guests at table come says he monsieur l'abbe let us try this question by the fact before us we are here one half americans and one half french and it happens that the americans have placed themselves on one side of the table and our french friends are on the other let both parties rise and we will see on which side nature has degenerated it happened that his american guests were carmichael armour humphreys and others of the finest stature and form while those on the other side were remarkably diminutive and the abbe himself particularly was a mere shrimp he parried the appeal however by a complimentary admission of exceptions among which the doctor himself was a conspicuous one this open hospitality excited some criticism in america and franklin was warned that quote, our too liberal entertainment of our countrymen here has been reported at home by our guests and has given offence they must be contented for the future as i am he therefore said with plain beef and pudding the readers of the connecticut newspapers ought not to be troubled with any more accounts of our extravagance for my own part if i could sit down to dinner on a piece of their excellent salt pork and pumpkin i would not give a farthing for all the luxuries of paris apparently the decision was to his physical if not to his jovial advantage for john adams mentions that quote, franklin has broke up the practice of inviting everybody to dine with him on sunday at passe and he is getting better the gout left him weak but he begins to sit at table an amusing contrast to one of the great dinners that franklin and adams attended is supplied by adams who records that he quote, came home and supped with dr franklin on cheese and beer end quote. franklin's rules of conduct in society were well fitted to make him popular the wit of conversation he remarked consists more in finding it and others than showing a great deal yourself he who goes out of your company pleased with his own facetiousness and ingenuity will the sooner come into it again most men had rather please than admire you and seek less to be instructed and diverted than approved and applauded and it is certainly the most delicate sort of pleasure to please another the great secret of succeeding in conversation he said on another occasion is to admire little to hear much always to distrust our own reason and sometimes that of our friends never to pretend to wit but to make that of others appear as much as possibly we can to hearken to what is said and to answer to that purpose in one of his bagatelles the handsome and the deformed leg he described the two sorts of people in the world who with equal degrees of health and wealth become the one happy and the other miserable and the need society has for protecting itself from the latter class Quote, an old philosophical friend of mine was grown from experience he declared very cautious in this particular and carefully avoided any intimacy with such people 
he had like other philosophers a thermometer to show him the heat of the weather and a barometer to mark when it was likely to prove good or bad but there being no instrument invented to discover at first sight this unpleasing disposition in a person he for that purpose made use of his legs one of which was remarkably handsome the other by some accident crooked and deformed if a stranger at the first interview regarded his ugly leg more than his handsome one he doubted him if he spoke of it and took no notice of the handsome leg that was sufficient to determine my philosopher to have no further acquaintance with him everybody has not this two-legged instrument but every one with a little attention may observe signs of that carping fault-finding disposition and take the same resolution of avoiding the acquaintance of those infected with it it was one of the rules which above all others made dr franklin the most amiable of men in society jefferson related never to contradict anybody if he was urged to announce an opinion he did it rather by asking questions as if for information or by suggesting doubts he was friendly and agreeable in conversation miss logan states which he suited to his company appearing to wish to benefit his hearers i could readily believe that he heard nothing of consequence himself but what he turned to the account he desired and in his turn profited by the conversation of others it is little wonder that an eye-witness reports that quote, when he left passe it seemed as if the village had lost its patriarch End quote. nor was the break felt on one side alone and franklin wrote from america that he quote, could not forget paris and the nine years happiness i enjoyed there in the sweet society of a people whose conversation is instructive whose manners are highly pleasing and who above all the nations of the world have in the greatest perfection the art of making themselves beloved by strangers and now even in my sleep i find that the scenes of all my pleasant dreams are laid in that city or in its neighborhood manessa cutler who called upon franklin in his philadelphia home in seventeen eighty seven draws a pleasant picture of his last years dr franklin lives in market street he states between second and third streets but his house stands up a courtyard at some distance from the street we found him in his garden sitting upon a grass plat under a very large mulberry with several other gentlemen and two or three ladies there was no curiosity in philadelphia which i felt so anxious to see as this great man who has been the wonder of europe as well as the glory of america but a man who stood first in the literary world and had spent so many years in the courts of kings particularly in the refined court of france i conceived would not be of very easy access and must certainly have much of the air of grandeur and majesty about him common folks must expect only to gaze at him at a distance and answer such questions as he might please to ask in short when i entered his house i felt as if i was going to be introduced to the presence of a european monarch but how were my ideas changed when i saw a short fat trenched old man in a plain quaker dress bald pate and short white locks sitting without his hat under the tree and as mr jerry introduced me rose from his chair took me by the hand expressed his joy to see me welcomed me to the city and begged me to seat myself close to him his voice was low but his countenance open frank and pleasing 
he instantly reminded me of the old captain cummings for he is nearly of his pitch and no more of the air of superiority about him i delivered him my letters after he had read them he took me again by the hand and with the usual compliments introduced me to the other gentlemen of the company who were most of them members of the convention here we entered into a free conversation and spent our time most agreeably until it was dark the tea-table was spread under the tree and mrs bosch a very gross and rather homely lady who is the only daughter of the doctor and lives with him served it out to the company she had three of her children about her over whom she seemed to have no kind of command but who appeared to be excessively fond of their grandpapa franklin himself has left an equally pleasant description of this closing period of his life quote, i have found my family here in health good circumstances and well respected by their fellow-citizens the companions of my youth are indeed almost all departed but i find an agreeable society among their children and grandchildren i have public business enough to preserve me from ennui and private amusement besides in conversation books my garden and cribbage considering our well-furnished plentiful market as the best of gardens i am turning mine in the midst of which my house stands into grass plots and gravel walks with trees and flowering shrubs cards we sometimes play here in long winter evenings but it is as in france they play at chess not for money but for honour or the pleasure of beating one another this will not be quite a novelty to you as you may remember we played together in that manner during the winter at Passy i have indeed now and then a little compunction in reflecting that i spend time so idly but another reflection comes to relieve me whispering you know that the soul is immortal why then should you be such a niggard of a little time when you have a whole eternity before you so being easily convinced and like other reasonable creatures satisfied with a small reason when it is in favour of doing what i have a mind to i shuffle the cards again and begin another game to a friend he wrote we loved and still love one another we are grown grey together and yet it is too early to part let us sit till the evening of life is spent the last hours are always the most joyous when we can stay no longer it is time enough then to bid each other good night separate and go quietly to bed this ends The Many-Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. Read for you by Michelle Fry in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thanks for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed it.